What a great display. Isn't it wonderful? Absolutely terrific. And it's a great reminder to us, isn't it, of that lovely, lovely promise that we see right back in Genesis 8, that uh, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, well, it will never cease. That's the promise that God gives us. And it's a terrific prom- promise as well. Well, that psalm that I asked to be read mentions a vine that was planted, that God planted. And of course, vines are mentioned an awful lot in the scriptures. And what comes from vines? Grapes. These little chaps. These came from a small vineyard in Hove. Now, it mentions in that psalm that was read to us that boars came and scoffed them. These were scoffed by a dog. We had a lot of grapes on our vines, but the dog and the birds between them decided that we weren't going to have any Chateau Hove this year. So that's all we've got. So you're very welcome to have a nibble of a grape later, so I'll leave them here. But there we are. Well, that psalm that I asked to be read, it was a psalm because as it said there that God transplanted a vineyard from Egypt and he planted it in the land that if you remember God had promised to Abraham way, way back when we go into Genesis 12, God's people were to bear good fruit that would attract those around them to forsake their false gods and to turn to the one true living God. But we only have to go through the pages of the Old Testament, don't we, to see how God's people failed miserably to demonstrate his love to the nations around them. What they did instead, they actually forsaked God themselves and they worshipped idols. Sorry, that wasn't very good English, was it? Forsaked, forsook God themselves. But then, of course, Psalm 80, verse 17, we saw that wonderful promise. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you've raised up for yourself. Well, as this was a psalm, it was a psalm of Asaph, uh, one of the choir members, and he was probably talking about the dynasty of King David. And we know who the dynasty of King David was, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Now, with that verse in mind, can I ask you to turn to John chapter 15, because that's what we're looking at tonight. John chapter 15, and we're just going to be looking at a few verses from what John has to tell us there. And the reason I've suggested John 15 was because, as I said, that uh, Israel may not have been true representatives of God's love to the nations. But in verse 1, chapter 15, verse 1, the first part, we're told of one who is the true vine. That's what Jesus says, I am the true vine. The perfect representative of God. Why? Because he is God. He is God. God with us. I am This is the last of those seven I am statements that Jesus made about his divinity. And of course, as it's harvest, we not only want to thank God for all this wonderful produce that's behind me, but as his people, harvest takes on another meaning for us, doesn't it? The blessing of seeing a harvest of righteous souls being brought into the kingdom of God. 
And these verses from John 15, that, well, they're words that Jesus spoke to the disciples literally hours before he would be arrested, before he would be put on trial, before he'd be brutalised by the Romans and then taken out and executed. And they're words that Jesus said to encourage the disciples and us in the calling from God to that word that we as Christians like to say quietly, evangelism. But I'm going to say it louder, evangelism, because that's what we're to do. We're to take the word of God out into the world. But, you know, before we can ever reap a harvest, then we need to do the work of a gardener. So we need to dig. We need to plant. We need to nurture. We need to prune. Well, just look with me at verses 1 to 3 of uh, chapter 15. Jesus says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. So our first heading tonight is God the garden. Well, how many of you are keen gardeners? Let's have a show of hands, one or two of you. Okay. Okay, so now when it comes to pruning, are you one of those that's rather tentative with your secretary? Saying, oh, I don't want to kill the plant. Or do you roll your sleeves up, get the secretary? Yeah, Terry's nodding. And you really cut it back. You cut it right back to the ground. That's what happens, isn't it? Well, I have it on really good authority by somebody who knows these things, that vines need to be cut back very hard because they're a plant that needs to strain, if you like. They need to uh, grow and be forced to grow to ensure that the following season they'll produce a good crop. Good crop like that. There we are. And of course... Spiritually speaking, that's what God wants you and I to do. He wants us to bear a good crop in our lives, doesn't he? He wants us to bear good fruit. Fruit that John the Baptist says is in keeping with being repentant. Come back to that word repentance again. Well, of course, having established that Jesus is the true vine, what we read here is that the Father is the one who goes around with his secateurs and he cuts off every branch in Christ that bears no fruit. Well, that might seem a strange thing for Jesus to say to the disciples. He cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. And I'm guessing it's going back here to the beginning of this upper room discourse when we go back to John 13. Because what we see in the events of that Passover meal, that Last Supper, if you like, was the washing of the disciples' feet, was Jesus predicting his betrayal, Peter's denial, and of course the institution of the Eucharist, the symbolic act that we do week in, week out, when we remember Jesus' body broken and his blood poured out for us on the cross. So that branch that Jesus is mentioning here, he's probably referring to Judas. That branch that had no part of him. Well, you know, when we think about Judas, what we must never forget is he was one of the twelve. So on the face of it, he was a believer. But 
but certainly not a man whose life had been transformed through the very word of God settling into his life the way the other disciples demonstrated. Here's a man who heard Jesus teach. He witnessed the miracles and yet that word just fell, if you like, on stony ground and his heart remained hard. Well, you know, the scriptures give us many warnings of how dangerous it is to think that we belong to Christ when in fact there's been absolutely no work of transformation taken place in our lives. The blood of Jesus has not cleansed many. And that knock on to that is the Holy Spirit hasn't regenerated their lives. There's been no spirit at work in them. In short, many who that would be true of have never truly surrendered their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. They still occupy the throne of their lives and they still want to. And you know, tragically, there's many, many today who believe they're saved. And if you go up and down this land, in and out of many of the churches around this country, you'll see some who serve in the form of an office in the church. Some even aspire to high office, to bishops and the rest of it. But the truth is, they remain unsaved. They remain unregenerated through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus often said things to the Pharisees, if you remember, and uh, he said on one occasion, he said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And of course, you know what their answer was? We're Abraham's descendants, so we've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Well, these guys, of course, were captive. They were captive like many are today, captive to Satan and to Satan's armies, Satan's powers. But to all who've been set free from sin through the blood of Christ, then it's those that God does his work in with his secretaries cutting out everything in us that hinders us being really fruitful for him in our lives. I like to watch the gardening programme on a Friday night if I get a chance. Alison's usually gone off to dog clubs so I can watch it. And uh, Monty Don, he's severe with his secateurs. And I think, my goodness me, you've cut that back so far. Are you sure you haven't killed it? But, you know, in the hands of a skilful gardener, plants will bear good fruit, even if they've been cut back hard. And if you and I, if we want to be men and women who bear good fruit for Christ, then we need to firstly willingly surrender our lives to Christ and we need to place ourselves, place our trust into the hands of Almighty God, the perfect gardener. And although it might be painful, and believe you me, as a Christian I can tell you that it is, for God to get rid of certain things in our lives, it is painful. We have to really let go and allow him to do that. Because you see, God sees in us what's problematic to his will being done. And he needs to cut away from us all that hinders us and him working in us for us to be more fruitful. We know when we go back into Isaiah that there was a time when Isaiah says that our lives before God resembled filthy rags. It's not a particularly nice thing to think about, is it? But that's what 
we were like. And you know, no amount of scrubbing on our part, in our own strength, in our own uh, religion, if you like, no amount of scrubbing is going to make us presentable to God. But when we go into Ephesians, Paul gives us that wonderful, wonderful truth. That because of God's amazing grace and mercy, we've been saved. We've been saved. Our salvation does not depend on what we've done, but on what Christ has done on the cross. His blood is what's cleansed you and I from sin. So now when we're presented before God, our lives are pure and holy because we've been washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. Well, if as God's people we're going to be effective in our evangelism, then we need to remain in Christ. Just look with me at verses 4 and 5. Jesus says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's the call, isn't it? Remain in me. That's what Jesus says. Remain in me and I will remain in you. I often smile when I look at the scriptures and you look at the people that God chose. We've got a a poster on the uh, side of the uh, church, uh, run at the Free Church. And it's all of the different peoples throughout the the Old and the New Testament that God used. And it makes fascinating reading to see that they're heroic failures like you and I. And you know, when you look at the disciples, it would be fair to say that these guys, just like us, they probably needed an awful lot of pruning. And you know, the Greek word for pruning is cleansing. That's what it means. Just think about the Apostle Peter for a minute. There was a man, I I like Peter, because he jumps in, he jumps in feet first, doesn't he, before he's thought. And one of, this is a bit more serious, but one of Peter's failings was to say to Jesus, no Lord, never Lord. Think of the times in the scriptures that he said that. And even after Pentecost, after the Spirit had come, we see him saying just the same. Just remember that uh, occasion uh, in, in Acts when that blanket or tablecloth, if you like, came down from heaven. It was full of non-kosher food. And the voice from heaven said, Peter, get up, kill and eat. What did he say? No! Never! I'm a good Jewish boy, I don't eat that sort of stuff. That's what he said, no Lord, no Lord. Well, we come back to John 13 again, to that upper room discourse, to the Last Supper. Jesus went to wash Peter's feet. What did he say? No, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus responded to him, he said, Peter, unless I wash your feet, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. John 15 verse 3, Jesus said, You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Go back to John 3 verse 22, For the one whom God has sent speaks the word of God. The disciples 
who by faith had left everything to follow Jesus, had received God's word into their hearts. So as Jesus says here, they're now clean. And you know that's the same for us today, because if by faith we've turned to Christ, we've been cleansed from our sins through the blood of the Lord, we have the very word of God present in us, at work in us. And that work will continue if we remain in Christ. Verse 4, remain in me as I also remain in you. You know, that's a wonderful truth for us to get hold of, isn't it? That by his spirit, the very maker of all that there is, the Lord Jesus Christ, is in us. Not only is he in us, he's not just dormant in us, he's at work in us. He's transforming us day by day. And he will do until the day that we enter glory. But you know, relationships have to work both ways, don't they? We need to remain in him. And Jesus tells us why in that second part of verse 4. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So if the work of evangelism is in us is going to be effective, then firstly, you and I need to be prepared to allow Almighty God, the gardener, to prune out of us all that gets in the way of him reigning in us and through us. Secondly, because we've responded by faith and being cleansed through his blood, Jesus is now in us and we in him. So the very word of God is in us and at work in us. Well, one thing that we know as believers, at least I hope we know this, is that we're not saved by our works. We're saved to do good works. Works that will bring glory to God and make a huge difference to the lives of those around us. So you and I are to bear fruit. Bear fruit that will help out in the world. Look at verses 6 to 8. Starts with a, a warning, doesn't it? If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So God prunes us to enable us to be even more fruitful. That's what Jesus says in verse 2 more fruitful than we would be if we were just Christians and we didn't do what we should do as Christians, which is spend time in the Lord, reading his word, praying, praising him, doing things that you know we should be doing as Christians, studying the word. These are each way when we draw closer to God and his spirits at work in us, Will he help us and will he work within us to help us to bear more fruit? And of course as we do that we draw nearer and nearer to him. I love Psalm 1. If, you, if you're a, a, a devotee of the Psalms, and I just love this psalm. Because it tells us of the benefits as believers when we meditate regularly on God's word. This is a beautiful image in my mind. We're like trees planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. What a fabulous picture that is. You know, if you were a tree, 
Where would you want to be? In an arid desert or by a stream? I know where I'd want to be. Because that tree is drawing up all the nourishment from that water. And that's what it's like when we meditate on God's word. We draw up from the Lord Jesus his word. He nourishes us. He refreshes us. He revives us. All of those wonderful things that enable us to be Christians. And of course as we draw nearer to God, then the scriptures tell us that he will draw near to us. So as born again men and women, we can do nothing for Christ unless we remain in him. But notice what Jesus says when we remain in him and he in us. He says we will bear much fruit. That's what he says here. So we've gone from verse 2 being more fruitful to now in Christ bearing much fruit. Fruit in abundance. Fruit that's seen not just in our lives as we demonstrate those wonderful fruits of the Spirit that Paul mentions in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness and so on. But in how we bear fruit as Christians that will have an impact on the world around us today as we take the gospel out into the community. So here's the challenge. How might we demonstrate we're bearing much fruit for Christ today? Fruit that will make a difference to another person's life. That will reveal Jesus in them and bring them into fellowship with him. Look again at verse 7. Jesus said, If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done. That doesn't mean asking to win the lottery, or Wolves to win the Premier League. I can but dream. But when we remain in Christ, and he in us, then it follows that our relationship with him will become more intimate. His word will expose more and more and more of his love and his heart for this world, for the lost, for the broken, for the prisoner, for the blind. Those four things, they just reveal to us the vast spiritual need that we see in this world today. Because I'm sure every one of us in this building tonight, we know someone who's lost from God's love. Maybe a member of our families. Maybe a prodigal who slipped away, or it may be somebody who doesn't even know anything about the Lord Jesus Christ. Or maybe we know someone who's broken by life in general. There's such a rise in mental health at the moment. There's so many broken lives. Then there's those who are prisoners. Maybe not in a physical prison in that sense of the word, but prisoners to addiction. Maybe to substance or alcohol, to pornography. And the fastest growing addiction, I think, because it's emblazoned across our TVs, is gambling. If you've got one of these little tablets or a little phone, you can gamble on your phone these days. It's just all around us. I like my football, as you know. Emblazoned across most football team shirts these days is a betting company. The TV companies are sponsored through the betting. And so it goes on. But then, of course, there's the spiritually blind. 
those who just cannot see that Christ is all and is in all and that without him we remain lost lost forever that is until just like us God opens their eyes and he reveals his love for them so are we then men and women tonight who are remaining in Christ and he in us and are we praying in line with his will tonight Remember what Jesus said just a few verses on from here when he was on his knees before the Father, praying that the Father would take that cup from him. And Jesus says, not my will, but yours. Is that what we are praying? Not our will, but your will, Father. Helping us to pray for ways to reach the lost, the broken, the prisoner, the blind. Pray that just as he enabled these first disciples to go and speak his word, Firstly in Jerusalem, on to Samaria, then out into the rest of the world. He'll enable us to do just the same today. We have that same spirit at work in us today. And how we put into practice how we bear fruit for Christ should be as it should always be. Not to, to highlight us, but it should be for the Father's glory. But, just a little word of warning tonight. If you're sitting here tonight and you haven't yet made a decision for Christ, if you haven't asked him to save you from your sins, then can I plead with you, please do not go home tonight without speaking perhaps to Keith or to myself or to Richard and just coming and asking, what do I need to do to be born again? The reason I say that, because God's word is very clear in what he says. Look at verse 6. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Well, once they've gone into the fire and they've been burned, then you can't resurrect them, can you? So there's an urgency. There's an urgency about our turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you are a believer here, and praise God, I'm sure that there's many here tonight that are believers, in fact, probably all of us, then we need to ask ourselves, are we allowing God the perfect gardener to be at work pruning us with his divine secateurs, cutting out all that hinders him being at work in your lives and my life? And of course, as we've been cleansed of our sins through the blood of Christ, are we remaining in Christ and he in us? so that we become even more and more and more like our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. The fruit of that will be evident inside of us. The world will see it in us. Also, and lastly, are we bearing much fruit? Much fruit. Doing the works God has set us apart to do in this world, so that he might receive the glory as that harvest of souls is revealed and brought into his great storehouse. I come in these words to you tonight. I am the vine. That's what Jesus said. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Amen.